environment. Let me pray quickly if that's okay. And then we will dive into God's word today. Lord, we, uh, we love you. We sing a hallelujah in every circumstance because you don't change, circumstances do. And you are magnificent, Lord. And we posture our hearts now to receive from you. Pray our children would receive from you, would receive you. Make yourself known to them. Right across this town today as your saints gather, Lord, come and do a good thing. Come and make yourself known. We invite you, Lord. When you do that, just in your own way, invite Jesus. So wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, figuring him out, just say, Lord, come. If you are the Lord, make yourself known. Uh, We're hungry to hear from you, and we need your help, Lord, for our hearts to be soft and receptive to the word of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We are continuing. We're in the last, I think, three or so weeks of our Death for Life series today. It's slightly different. We've been sharing some stories and how that particular story is, uh, how the gospel relates to that particular story. Today, I want to be a bit shorter and finish with a little bit more time for communion at the end. And our title today is Jesus is my ransom. Can you say ransom? Ransom. Ransom. In Matthew 20 verse 28 we read this. Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was always super clear that the, if you could say primary or main purpose, when we speak of the gospel, it's, it's kind of the whole story of the Bible, or it's the story of God, the gospel. But as we are focusing on the cross, Jesus' death and resurrection, it's like the, the pinpoint of the arrow that is the gospel, and the shaft is the story of God. Jesus was always clear that he came to die. He came to give his life. Jesus had spoken about that before this. and His disciples were very slow to get it, which is comforting. They didn't quite get that he was going to die. So even after he's told them a few times, they're arguing about, can we have a place? You know, They thought he was going to be this political deliverer. But they were still missing the willing, humble, servant-hearted sacrifice that Jesus kept saying that he would be. But here he begins to say why. So he has predicted his death, but here he begins to say why. And the why is that he would be a ransom for many. And so whilst the series is the gospel, so each preach has a similarity across it, in one sense, what we've looked at is what Christ has accomplished, and we've looked at something of the cost. Today, it's almost how Jesus has accomplished all of that stuff. It's not that, not that clean, but before we dive into the ransom side specifically, just don't miss the richness of Scripture. So here it says, the Son of Man came. <laughs> he wasn't just sent, although I think there would be something true of that. He came. He's the one who takes initiative. That's your story if you're a Christian, is that Christ came to you. God is the one who initiates. Uh, I, th- I, think, I think Roy preached. He's talking about the condescension of God. <laughs> he comes to us. He's the one who comes. He's the one who takes initiative. He also came. This is interesting as I was reading for this. He came not to be served. Now we focus on the next bit, don't we? To be served. But it's almost as if Jesus is making a point here. I've come not to be served. Well, it's important to pause there because he has every right. To be served. 
There is a normal, righteous expectation that Jesus, being God, would be the one who was to be served. And of course, there's an element in which we serve God. But he came so as not to be served, but to, but to serve. And when you become a Christian, you don't do God a favor. I don't know if you've thought of that. You know, we, we, of course we serve God, but part of what it is to become a Christian and follow Jesus is to accept the invitation for him to serve you your whole life. Have you ever thought of it that way? When you become a Christian, you say, he's come to serve me, and yes, I want to be served by God the rest of my life. God is serving you if you're a believer right now. He's making intercession for us on our behalf. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if you live with that. Right now, he is serving you. The king of glory is serving me. (laughs) And I think I'm serving God and doing him a favor. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And it's out of that that we serve. But he did come to be served. So he comes, he lays aside the deserved right to be served, and instead serving ultimately by giving his life as a ransom. And then notice that word, a ransom for many. Can you say for? And the Greek word is anti, which means instead of, or in place of, or substitute. <laughs> See, as we've been unpacking this gospel, which is centered, as I've said, on the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you have this big word, gospel, the good news. But a key word in understanding the gospel is substitution. Can you say substitution? substitution. So that is the essence, really. If you, if you want the gospel in four words, it is Jesus in my place. That if you want four words to try and sum up the gospel, is Jesus in my place. You see, Jesus went to the cross not merely to die for you, but to die instead of you. Uh, and both are true. He died for me. And sometimes we miss the weight when we forget the other side, which is he died instead of you. He took the burden of sin so that you could put on the mantle of righteousness. That we heard of substitution. He took your sin. You get his righteousness. Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live. And died the death we were condemned to die. You see this idea of substitution. Is a beautiful picture. Jesus in my place. And one of the things that sets Jesus apart. From the founder of every other major religion. Is that their purpose was to live and be an example. Jesus' purpose was to die and be a sacrifice. It's, uh, of course he was an example, but I have come that I would give my life as a ransom for many. He came to die and be a sacrifice and have worldly wisdom say, oh, you're weak and you're defeated. Other major religions can be an example. This is how you do it. If you, you, can, you can reach whatever it might be if you live this way or you follow this example. Substitution, ransom, coming to live and die. So... When I say the word ransom, what comes to mind? So just pause for a moment. What do you think of when you think of ransom? So it's probably, some of us, it's like a movie, isn't it? You know, uh, where, where the evil guy is paid off so as to liberate someone innocent. That's usually what we think of as ransom. Or someone not innocent because they're a multi-billionaire and they're corrupt and you know, they've been kidnapped or something. What's the Tom Hanks film on the ship? Anyone know that one? What's it? 
well, one of them, anyway, where he, he, he takes over, there's a pirates take the ship or why. Anyway, forget about that, it's unscripted. Come back to Jesus, not Tom Hanks, come back to Jesus. But we tend to think of it as payment to an evil person who has taken captive someone vulnerable and innocent and is usually to free them. Now that gives us some idea of liberation from captivity, but it falls woefully short of biblical idea of ransom. Firstly, because... Let's be clear on this. Jesus is not paying the devil. I don't know if you've thought about this. Who gets paid for our freedom? It ain't the devil. Because he's not a co-equal with God who wields power and needs to be paid off. Sometimes we don't think about these things. Sometimes we assume. Now, so who is being paid for our freedom? There's a bit of a wrestle in there. So I think there's a good case to be made that God is being paid because we've wronged against him. I don't think scripture necessarily forces that on us. It just says that there was a price that was paid. That's the clearest thing. I think you can make a biblical argument understandably that God was the one who was paid. But that's not the major emphasis. The major emphasis is that there was great cost paid for you. And that cost was the life of Jesus himself. We might come back to that point. So when the Bible uses the word ransom, it's translating lutron, or however you would pronounce it. And it's not French, it's Greek lutron. I don't know. It's a Greek word, which means to buy the freedom of a slave or a prisoner. So obviously in our case, we're not innocent. <laughs> we are guilty. So that's where the, the idea of kidnapping that we often have falls short. But it carries with it... The idea to buy the freedom of a slave or a prisoner. It's a payment to release someone from some kind of bondage. Or prisoners of war. Or someone who's in slavery. Or someone who is in debt. And that's why another way to express what Christ has done in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20. Is to say, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Turn to the person next to you and say that. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So the implication here is that Jesus sees his death as a ransom to release many from bondage. He is paying what they, what you and I could not, cannot pay so that we, that they might go free. He is substituting himself for them at the cost of his life and they get freedom. So it's not paying off an evil person to release someone who is innocent. We are guilty. And there is great cost that we cannot pay. Why, so why was there this great cost? Why do we need? The, the idea is of slavery. And we can generally, in day-to-day life, I think when we're thinking, what does the Bible say? We might get it right. But generally, in day-to-day life, we can think of ourselves as generally good, free, autonomous beings who sometimes sin. And because we have sinned, we are internally indebted to God and we need help getting in the door. That's probably how we commonly think about, you know, I'm quite a good person looking around here. You, you're all fairly good, I think nice people on the whole. But we sometimes sin, so we've got a black mark against us. So we need that kind of taken off. Uh, there's, there's again some element of truth in that. However, the moment you sin, <laughs> and in fact even one could say before you're even conscious of that, the reality is that apart from Christ, and living under his liberating rule, we are actually slaves to sin. Can you say slaves? Slaves. We're not just good autonomous beings who sometimes sin. We are slaves to sin. We are mastered by it. Or we are mastered by, by Jesus. And so we read in John eight 
34, Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. There is, outside of Christ, we are enslaved to this way of life that will always get us. And when we try not to be enslaved, well, we end up trying to work our own way out of it and we are stacking it up even more. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 to 19 says, For you know that you were redeemed... From your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. I could talk about the lamb, because when you start speaking about Jesus as the lamb, it brings the Old Testament to life, doesn't it? You begin to think these sacrifices about lambs and all these rules and regulations, they're all about Jesus. But we won't go too far there. Redemption and ransom are very closely linked. We inherit this slavery to sin. You've heard it said, that's why you don't need to teach a child how to sin. It's very natural. We inherit a sense of sin slavery that is passed down, and it's natural outside of Christ. So for Christians in the room, we are not those who have got it all right. We are slaves who have been liberated. Maybe we need to cultivate joy all the more. Like our dear brothers and sisters who know something a bit more of what it is to be liberated from something that feels like slavery, if not slavery itself. We inherit this and we get liberated apart from Christ, without God, without hope. But God, being rich in mercy, comes to die and ransom you, pay for you. And so there's lots of ways that Jesus speaks about how he does this in the Bible. So John Stott says, when indicating the costly price paid by Christ to ransom us, ransom us, however, the commonest word used by the New Testament authors was neither he gave himself or he gave his life, but by his blood. Can you say blood? blood. So what is meant by all this blood talk? You know, Why is blood such a big deal when Jesus comes to... Die and throughout scripture. Well, if you look in the Old Testament, basically in short, Leviticus chapter 17, Deuteronomy 12, 23, it says that the life of a creature is in its blood. The blood is life, Deuteronomy chapter 12. So when we speak about blood, we're talking about the actual life. (laughs) So that which gives its own very life. The blood of Christ speaks of the costliness of his very life. Not that he bled. You know, it's not just that he bled or because of the thorns, but that he gave his very life. Bleeding is quite dramatic, isn't it? So you think this is actually a, a whole being giving of his life. And some theologians will say it speaks of him losing his life and f- his life flowing into us. Because if there's blood in the life, when it leaves the body, the body's dead, but it flows into something else. I'm not sure. I think sometimes we try to stretch script- scripture to kind of put it into nice pockets when actually the Bible just says something that's true and we don't have to work it all out. <laughs> but it's the life of Christ. That's why it's all this talk about blood. It was costly for Jesus to leave heaven. It was costly for him to take on flesh. It was costly for him to be tempted and to walk in the shoes that we have, to be a vulnerable baby. It was costly for him to invest in slow-to-get-it disciples like you and I. (laughs) It was costly for him to invest in those who would betray him. But ultimately, the greatest cost was that his blood was given. His very life was poured out and it's now, as it were, living and flowing in us. And that's why baptism is such a beautiful thing. 
because we're going to be witnessing so much of what a death in Christ is and a resurrection. The Bible speaks of being washed by the blood of Christ. When you come to baptism, there's this beautiful washing and you come out not smelling of salt and vinegar crisps um, uh, or, or the stench of sin that so deeply is ingrained in us apart from Jesus. It's what the redeemed community in heaven sing about. It's always helpful to see what's going on in heaven to think, are we getting our emphasis right? <laughs> think, what are they besotted about <laughs> in heaven? And what are we missing? Yeah. Think, I, 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 am I like that? And so you read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Having flags is not just something nice. It speaks of that, something of that, as much as we can. But there is this new song. What's the song that grips your heart, dear friends? Is it that he is worthy for he was slaughtered to buy you? It's a beautiful thing to sing of when you know what you've come from. You purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the wonder of the church and why we dare not take it casually. So I can just have a pastoral comment. We live in a, we live in a time when we have the beautiful privilege of going away on holidays and doing lots of things. And I don't want you to mishear me and say you must attend this church every week. But statistically, on average, a third of your church are away every Sunday. Um, and that's, that's natural. We live in a moving culture. And that, 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 that's fine. So when you come to do a preach like this, it preaches, you've got to think, this is part of a series that's more than three weeks long. So each preach needs to stand alone <laughs> so that you, who won't be here next week and the, the week after. But it, it's also part of a, a series. But see, the, 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 the church is the blood-bought people of God. What's happening today has been bought by the blood of Christ that's why, as Morris Nightingale said, it is the most important thing going on in the world today, the gathering of saints, every time it happens, because it is what Jesus bought and bought for. It's what heaven is singing about, if you like, the people who have been bought by Christ. And so let us buck the trend that going to church is optional for us. I'm not saying don't go away. Hear me. I, I hope you know that. I'm not saying don't go on holiday. But don't think, shall I go to church today, if you're a Christian? Jesus has bought you. Come and sing with the redeemed community of heaven, brothers and sisters, where there's some flavor of every nation, tribe, and tongue, so you can see the fruit of what Christ has bought. Dare we be casual about the church? I have loved some of the new people who have joined us. I think I've had four conversations over the last month where people said, I look forward to going to church. Yes, hallelujah. Now, it's a nice time to come to church. There will be weeks when it's hard. As a church, we will go through tough stuff. And you'll be thinking, do I want to go to church today? Listen, Jesus has bought the people of Christ. He has bought you. Don't miss here. But yeah, the yearning, the longing to make much of Jesus. And obviously, this is one expression of it. Okay, There's, there's lots of other ways to do it. So leaders of the church are charged to do their task in view of this. 
So read in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves, O pastors, elders, shepherds, and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Shepherd the church of God. Be diligent. Do it faithfully, not for selfish gain. Scriptures say, yes, because Al, Tom, Ben, myself will give an account to God, of course. But because he purchased it with his blood. I don't get to choose how important you are. (laughs) That is sealed by the price that's been paid in Jesus Christ. It is why also your lifestyle matters. Not to earn God's favor, but to honor him amidst many other reasons. The delights of those rescued from slavery. So we read in 1 Corinthians 6, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Full stop, stop there. Now we can preach lots of laws and rules about that. (laughs) And some of that might be okay. But if you don't read the next verse, you miss (laughs) The beauty of this. Never miss the why. Verse 19. Same bit of scripture. Don't you know? So don't do that. Flee it. Have nothing to do. Don't just walk the line. Flee it. Can you say flee? Flee. Flee. So if you've got a problem with porn, why do you have a mobile phone with free access? Flee. If you have a problem with gossip, I know this isn't that, I'm talking generally about sin. Why are you hanging out with people who bring the worst out of you? Flee. Why? So that you're a good person? No. Yes. Do it for good, but no. Don't you know? Why should, you, why should I flee? Why should I have nothing to do with that? Why? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Unbelievers feel awkward when they come into church. And they instinctively think, I should try not to swear here. I should try not to. Can I do this here? For whatever reason, right or wrong, they might think that. There's something about the church. Imagine going to a temple. Don't you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Not who's built it and left it over there, who is in you. So he's in you and you think that, say that, do that. Whom you have from God. You are not your... If you've not reconciled that as a Christian, you are going to have a tough time finding settlement, joy, and peace, and liberty from sin. If you haven't reckoned fully that you are not your own, and I'm sorry if we, we want to preach about the grace of God, but there is also the weight that comes with that which is wonderful. You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. So, that's the why. Glorify God with your body. We often put all the emphasis on the first bit and we forget the second bit. Tell you, without the fuel of that, the first bit will just be up and down. You were bought with a price, dear friends. So do everything you practically can to flee, stay away from, don't even go near, whatever that might be for you. But also pursue Jesus, this understanding of being bought at a price. I mean, I, I'm trying to relax more, but when I, when I get home and kids have been playing with toys and they haven't played them with hours and they're all out, I'm like, don't you know how much this stuff cost? Look after your toys. Look after your stuff because it was bought at a price. Now that's temporal, plastic stuff. You know, it's, 
Um, we think, I need to chill out a bit more. Yes, darling, I do need to chill out a bit more. <laughs> but that essence, it's like, hey, you were bought. It's costly, this thing. It's costly. So if you are with awareness, claiming to follow Christ, and you are dabbling in something that everyone is clearly telling you isn't right, what, what are you doing? As John Piper would say, it's like crucifying Jesus over and over again. Deliberate, willful sin. It's like, I remember this hit me when I was wrestling with some stuff years ago. I think, wow. I love the grace of God. I will focus on it. But I need to know the cost that was paid for me. Flee, brothers and sisters. Anything that smells of sin as best as we can in the grace of God. Keep running. And you need Jesus because you can't do it. You know this but a few verses. Psalm 49 verse 7 to 8. Truly no one, no man can ransom another. (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) You need Jesus. But it goes on. Truly no one can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. But then the psalmist later says, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. Or in the words of 1 Timothy 5, 6 to 8, 5 to 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. There is one God, one mediator. Your good works are not a mediator. I am not your mediator before God. (laughs) You have one heavenly priest, Jesus. This man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. A testimony at the proper time. You need Christ. Not me. Not one of the elders. Not a pastor. Not a priest. Not some good works. You need Jesus. I saw a tweet this week that in the temple there was no seat. Because the work was never finished. There was no chair for me. Priest to chat because the work was coming. But what is Jesus doing now? He's seated because the work is done. Hallelujah. He still intercedes for us. It's a glorious, it's a glorious thing. So as we come in a few moments to communion, I want us to uh, allow. There's lots of tones to communion. There's a looking back at what Christ has done. There's a looking forward to what he's going to do. There's a looking around to the community and there's a looking in. Today will be a little bit more of the looking in, and then I trust the looking, the looking up. Um, so if you're a Christian, we're going to have communion together. But if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, please don't take off the, the bread and the wine unless you are calling out to Jesus as your, as your saviour. But when we come to communion, it is a beautiful reminder. I mean, I... Of his blood, and that will be our focus um, today. So you might just want to get it ready, and then in a few moments we'll have an unhurried time of just dwelling on the cost that Jesus paid. It says this in Matthew 26 For as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave his disciples to it and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's a beautiful thing.
poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. And then in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, we're warned not to casually partake of the Lord's Supper. And we'll try to get a balance. We, we don't want to be infrequent, but we want to be frequently remembering Jesus. And sometimes we just give a little bit more time to ensuring that we are not casual or making a mockery of Jesus. And this, um, the picture of his blood helps us do that. So I just, we're just going to have some quiet time together um, as we invite Jesus. Uh, in fact, let me read from 2 Corinthians for you in a moment. Corinthians 7 it says this godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret but worldly grief just feeling guilty produces death and so as we as we examine ourselves we're saying God show me any way that's grievous to you and me and we, we get a godly grief and godly grief is a grief that we have wronged Christ we have wronged God, not a moral, just a tick box moral wrong, but we understand that. And it leads to repentance. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm turning away because I love you. And that leads to life because it's a freeing moment. Godly grief, worldly grief is just, I feel bad. I've done something wrong. It misses the personal nature. It misses the change of heart. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you this morning as we've built on this series as we've looked today at the blood of Christ. And I will say words if you will own them, say yes in your heart. Lord, I reckon that I'm not my own. I was bought at a price. Thank you that you dwell in me by your Holy Spirit. And I invite you now to bring your freeing, liberating lordship and conviction into my life. Show me my hidden faults any way that is grievous to you. And lead me to life. Be still for a while. As the Holy Spirit bursts things in your heart or you look at your life and it's obvious, just confess it. Tell God (laughs) you're sorry. Call out. when you're ready you might want to get your wafer it's just the first kind of tangible means of remembering Christ's body his suffering 
will for you be attentive to the cost of your sin, but also to the wonder of his substitution. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you will need to make some resolutions in your heart now and tell someone as soon as you can that <coughs> some things will change and it's costly. It's painful. Yesterday we had the Living Out team equipping us to think through what the Bible says about sexuality and how people try and follow God and their obedience. And we heard this beautiful, painful story of two lesbian ladies who came to church with children. They got saved. You have children. You have these ladies who themselves felt the conviction of God that they needed to change things. And what what they had done wasn't in God's purposes. And so one lady moved out, lived with a church family around the corner, but they'd committed to raising these children, so they partnered in that, but a church family took her in so that they could faithfully pursue what Jesus had for them. This cost to following Jesus. But it's beautiful, and it's honoring. I tell you many other stories of people who come to church in life situations that are far from Jesus because they had no idea, and they come to Christ. It changes everything. When you see people pay that cost and honor Jesus, it's beautiful. Some of us need to do some significant things like that. Others just steeped in a way of life, single, living for themselves, come to Jesus and think, it's going to be years before I even consider being with someone else, even if I should. And they pursue singleness in Christ and show the beauty of Jesus' satisfaction. But it's costly. Come, Lord. So at this point, you start to feel those areas of your hearts that have kind of been closed up, the door knocking. Maybe it's more subtle, gluttony, pride. Lack of generosity. So Lord, as we think of your bloodshed, wow. we say as best as we can, we want to honor you. We want to bless you. You've freed us, Lord. You've purchased us. Thank you for your blood, Lord Jesus. When you're ready, you might want to take the wine. I wonder if the worship team could come up, please. rest of us, let's just stay attentive to, to the Lord.
Praise God, this one is the mediator. One who stands in the gap represents both sides. There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Have you received him as Lord and Savior? If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you think, if this is what Christianity is, I don't know what I've been doing. I was told something else. I was told my life would be happier and God would make me successful and that's all that matters. Oh, he will make you joy-filled. He really will. But you need to give up everything and put him first. Let's stand together. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you. I want you to take the step to come and find me. Pray with you. The phrase that really sits with me these days is the weightiness and the wonder of the ways of God. There's a weight to it, isn't there? Man, I'd love to just preach on joy and dancing all day long. But it would do you no good <laughs> if that was the only thing. There's a, there's a, there's a weight. But it's wonderful, isn't it? Let's, let's just begin to speak to the Jesus, the wonder of him, in your own way. The band